Welcome to the Manmukti podcast, where we speak up about South Asian mental health. In this episode, Sajan Pakta shares his story of recovery from a place of doubt and isolation to one of philanthropy, empathy, and optimism. We hope you listen, share, and speak up. All right, listeners, today we're here with Sajan Pakta, who is a, a, a very exciting guest. And uh, I'll tell you why. It's, it's not often that we get to talk to someone who talks for a living, right? So Sajan goes around the world talking about not only uh, his own mental health journey, but a really cool organization that he conceived called PopSolve. And it's a nonprofit, and he's only 23. So I want to have Sajan talk about himself for a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, guys. Um, it's Sajin. Super excited to be here with you guys um, and chatting as well as learning more about you guys and what you guys do. So um, my background, as Anand mentioned, is in uh, the nonprofit sector, and um, I'm excited to share my journey, uh, especially through the mental health side of it, using that lens as the uh, viewpoint and the foundation for uh, where I started and kind of how I got to where I am today. Fantastic. Yeah. So that's the... That's the path we're going to chart forward here. Uh, and that path ends at where he is today, which is uh, not only traveling, doing these talks, but also pursuing a, uh, a PhD in psychology. Tell us a little bit about the organization and how you thought of it. What made you, at such a young age, kind of think to do something so big? Absolutely. So uh, being from India, I'm born and raised in uh, the United States. My family would travel back to India quite frequently, usually every year, every other year. And each time that we'd go back, you know, I'd have the opportunity to enjoy and relax and spend time with my grandparents and family there. However, uh, one thing that I did consistently note uh, mentally was that there is a significant gap in terms of lifestyle and just standard of living. And uh, there's one experience that was the primary inspiration for, you know, my desire to come back and found a nonprofit. And I recall leaving the airport, uh, and I was with my my father in the car, and uh, we saw a a woman, and she had a young child in her arms with no clothes on, and I just recall how malnourished they appeared. And, um, you know, in India, they tapped on the window of the car and um, was begging for money. And, um, you know, I just kind of had a, a moment of reflection in my mind. I asked, you know, here is a woman with a young child in her arms, and each and every day, what what inspires her to get up, and, and what is her motivation, and um, if she had the ability to go out and um, live a life despite her conditions, you know, what was I going to do to improve her life and help make the world a better place? So we came back to the United States, and um, I decided that I just wasn't going to be able to turn a blind eye to what I had experienced there in India and what had happened. And how that personally touched me. So using her as uh, the springboard, I was able to work hard, um, you know, over a number of, uh, almost a year, um, you know, when a 14-year-old walks into a lawyer's office and trying to convince them that um, he wants to start a nonprofit, uh, nobody really takes you seriously. So it was quite the the daunting process, the legal side of it, the financial side of it. Um, And then furthermore, really just trying to convince uh, people that I really wanted to do something about the issue at such a young age. So that's kind of how the the organization got started. Um, It was just a one-man show when we started. and, And now here we are today operating all around the world. 
Right. Uh, how many people do you have working uh, on this initiative? So um, for if you look at the entire globe, we have about 2,000 volunteers or people who are part of our mission supporting in all of our different locations. Wow. Okay. And so now it's not just India, but uh, I would imagine a lot of countries. Yeah, yeah, we uh, have a focus on um, third world countries, you know, across um, all of the continents. Um, mm-hmm. We're starting in South America this year, so we're really looking forward to that. Oh yeah, that place is beautiful. I've only been to Peru, but uh, there's a lot of work to be done, but also like a lot of people who want to do the work. Um, so that mm-hmm. seems like a very fertile ground for this kind of thing. You know, anyone who's ever been to India, like who's, I guess it helps if you're South Asian because. Um, then you get to see your families react to it. So, you know, if you're raised in a country like America, where unless you're in a big city like New York City, uh, you don't see a whole lot of uh, poverty dead in the eye. Um, and then you go to India and you see it all on a sudden, and you see people reacting like, almost kind of dismissively, um, and you have it in your heart that this should not be the way of things. Um, and then you feel kind of mm-hmm. like the stranger. It's almost like the beggar... And your family members, they all understand how it works, and you're the only one who doesn't get it, you know? How did you overcome the kind of surroundings telling you that this is not a solvable problem? You know, I think, uh, I think it took a lot of, um, I think it took a lot of consistency and persistency. And when I had set out uh, back in, in 2010, uh, when this all started, I had to first acknowledge that I would not be able to solve the problem, uh, and I think that's a very difficult a realization to come to terms with, especially when you're pouring your heart and soul and every hour of the day into something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to also go into it with the understanding that whatever work that I did, whatever work that we as a team do today to make the world a better place is still having an impact mm-hmm. um, as it would not have been done otherwise. So I think really keeping it in perspective and, and always knowing that each action, each donor dollar that we use in a positive way mm-hmm. uh, is truly having having an impact and uh, we just have to be really realistic with ourselves. And I think anyone you ask in the nonprofit sector within any nonprofit operating towards any mission in any industry will always tell you that they wish that they could do more, but they also know that uh, in order to be the most effective organization that they possibly can, Mm -hmm. they have to acknowledge that they have limits and those limits have to be respected. Right. Right. Um, and the realization that, uh, and this is a kind of it, it's trite, but it's it's so important and so often neglected, uh, which is the fact that uh, you know any change is something you know. And in India, we have a I think we have a mentality where you know if you can't fix all of it, then why try? Kind of thing, you know. And mm-hmm. um, India, especially, it seems like you know if you clean some trash, like it feels like trying to uh, throw sand back into the uh, ocean. It feels like it's just going to send it right back, you know. Um, but yeah, it's really cool to hear your story and how you how you got that in shape. Uh, I especially liked, uh, I especially liked watching on YouTube your uh, your parents supporting you and, um, you know, if the world around you and the their immediate surroundings believe in your work, I think that's a. It's not only like a great uh, help to the work itself, but it makes it much more fun and rewarding to. Uh, to do that work. Yeah, I think that's a, a very interesting point. And, and to elaborate on that, um, I'd like to point out uh, that it was not always that way, uh, which has yeah. contributed a bit to my mental health journey. 
Um, of course, you know, every every child has a very uh, loyal and um, relationship with their parents inherently by birth, but uh, at times those relationships can become strained. Um, and so, you know, in the early years uh, of my life, as well as, you know, through the nonprofit, I didn't always have that full support and backing um, and it took quite some time for that to, to be there. Uh, and I think that it's really important, um, you know, to acknowledge that because uh, I think the outcome would have been tremendously different um, if I did have that from the very beginning. But, of course, hindsight being twenty twenty, everything, I believe, happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. And um, so my relationship, especially with my dad, wasn't always the best. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've definitely had our troubled times and our hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that um, every every experience along the way has been shaping for me and in, in just in terms of my perspective but also my my mental health my mental health journey yeah yeah i want to i want to talk about that because um you know it's astounding what you've done but it's the more it's the more astounding considering where you came from and that's a place of uh, some mental struggle and some challenges so uh you know i want to kind of let you tell your story as you remember it and as you kind of make meaning of it now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, you know, growing up, I I think, you know, just was always the odd one out and never really fit in, never really had a particular group and always found myself to be kind of going against the grain, if you will. And um, I think, you know, throughout elementary and middle and in high school, all of that just kind of built up. And I think a lot of people experience that, that phase. And for some, it's lifelong of just finding who you are and what your identity is and what you want to contribute to the world. And it is a lot. It's a lot of pressure hmm. and a lot of stress. Yeah. And um, I, I recall, you know, growing up, I had always, you know, thought I wanted to be a doctor and go to medical school and mm. practice medicine. And, um, you know, luckily my parents were never um, overly uh, pressuring in terms of that. So I kind of had that backing. But I just recall you know, growing up being bullied and never really fitting in. And uh, my parents actually went through a divorce uh, that was not ideal. Um, mm. Also, during the same period of my time in high school, and it was all so new to me and having a dad uh, who we married very quickly and all of a sudden now had to navigate the the situation of having a step family and step siblings who now are, are I can imagine life without them but as you can imagine in the moment when you're that age and, yeah. and your parents are going through a divorce especially in in the Indian community where it's so rare and taboo yeah. um, I just recall so many insensitive people in the community uh, making very uh, heartless comments throughout the whole thing, uh, forgetting to acknowledge that, you know, there was no fault in the entire situation, um, really just kind of sent me uh, down a downward spiral. And so, uh, you know, I did reach a breaking point. I hit rock bottom uh, and I became suicidal. And um, that did result in action, which today I am very thankful was a failed attempt. Mm. And um, it did not work as planned. And so, um, you know, to your question about how that journey and how those experiences really shape and, um, you know, mold my perspective on life today is each and every day I wake up and treat today, tomorrow as a second chance at life. And uh, I aim to provide my insight, my perspective and my experience so that everyone else doesn't have to, um, you know, be concerned that what they're going through is wrong or be concerned that what they're they're doing is wrong and that 
acknowledge that, you know, everyone has a battle that nobody else knows anything about. Um, and so kind of all of that put together um, was, you know, a culminating experience for me to acknowledge that, um, you know, I am here on this planet now for a second time for a reason. And right. I'm going to use that uh, to do something bigger than myself, uh, which is kind of at the time where the nonprofit really revved up and where I was um, pouring a lot of my energy, uh, converting negative energy and negative feelings into positive ones by, you know, even if it was just going to the homeless shelter when I was, you know, 14 years old and, and, and or volunteering at a blood drive or whatnot, and um, acknowledging that there are individuals in the world who um, have tougher challenges and who have tougher situations, but um, keeping in mind that everyone's level of toughness cannot be compared, if you will. Um, and so doing my part, using my chance here again uh, to help everyone um, work towards a better tomorrow. So, um, you know, I think it definitely has shaped me. And I think, you know, after I after I wrote my book and after it was published, I had so many young readers reach out to me and so many young readers uh, contact me and, and tell me that, you know, they have gone through very similar journeys. And it was then that I realized that so many people, especially uh, within the South Asian community, are ba battling mental health challenges or mm -hmm. everyone has their unique situation that we don't always talk about, uh, which in, in, in that in of itself really inspired me to now pursue my doctorate in psychology to give back in that field. But um, going back to, you know, what I realized through that was then I wanted to use my, my story to inspire others. And I've been so, so blessed and thankful now for the opportunity to travel all around the world and speak with audiences, um, both, you know, young and old um, of the like, and have the opportunity to create a sense of relatability. Um, and that's truly what I find meaning in now is helping other people know um, that there are other people out there, that there's support out there, and that the road does get better. Um, but it's just going to take a lot of hard work and a lot of time. You know, in med school, we study that, uh, you know, the the highest risk for a suicide is actually a prior suicide, suicide attempt. Um, so, you know, when I see your story, I see someone who had who had done that once and then had turned that into like a really powerful opposing force. I wonder like what happened in you or outside of you to kind of completely turn that around uh, and give you momentum in the opposite direction. Was it, was there anything that someone said or did or uh, contributed to your life that gave you that uh, perspective? You know, uh, during this time, I had lost uh, a very good uh, cousin uh, to suicide, and I, I got to firsthand witness what detrimental effects it had on his parents and the entire family and community. And um, at that time, that I would believe would be not the turning point in momentum, but a part of it, uh, if you're looking at it as a collective or on the continuum, um, still on the continuum, if you will. Mm -hmm. Not to say that, you know, I get up today and every day is not you know, butterflies and mm -hmm. rainbows. There mm -hmm. are hard days and there are better days and there are, are worse days, but mm -hmm. they're a day, they're a day in the spectrum and, and you treat them as a day, you don't treat them as forever. So, you know, that being said, I think, you know, that was probably one of the realizations that I had was that in doing so, it would be more selfish of me to do that. Um, and then I just could not come to terms with the level of of pain that I would be leaving my parents and family with. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I decided, uh, you know, at that point, I also had a good cousin um, in the Indian community. She was 12 years old and uh, was, um, she had come to me the week prior and she, she I, I absolutely love her and adore her. And she came to me the week prior and said, you know, I uh, want to do something. I want to help the world. What can I do? Um, and I had a blood drive coming up the next week. And uh, at that time, I was very heavily involved with the American Red Cross and planning blood drives and, and providing some leadership on their board. And I told her, well, you know, you're, you're, you're a bit young. You know, the requirements by the Red Cross wouldn't necessarily allow you to volunteer. <laughs> but I totally respect, you know, your perspective and outlook, and I value that. And so we had talked, and she was going to come out and help and pass out crackers to the donors. Um, and actually just uh, the very the very next day, um, and it's all a blur now, so my apologies, but uh, very soon after, um, she was crossing the street and um, was hit by a police car, um, an unmarked uh, police car traveling to an emergency without lights and sirens, and she passed away on the spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe that that, that experience um, would rank as um, up there with the most difficult tragedies I have ever had to experience, and I wasn't even her parent. Um, and so that also uh, really kind of shifted momentum that I would live on and carry on the torch that she so badly wanted to do just when she was 12 years old. And um, I, I just could not take that opportunity now from her and myself. Right. So as you can see, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But each one of us, I think, will have so many more positive experiences and stories like this that we just really have to make the conscious effort to want to put at the forefront of our mind during the most difficult time of our life when any of us are going through a mental health challenge. Um, And for me, I, again, consider myself so, so thankful to have been able to do that at that time to focus and divert all of my negative energy into a positive forward moving momentum. Yeah, that sounds like a terrible thing, but I can see how it would move you to kind of adopt the optimism that she had and uh, recycle it into your work and kind of honor her uh, memory that way. And uh, Absolutely. I wonder, you mentioned earlier how your parental relationship, especially with your father, was strained. Um, you don't have to get into all the details if you don't want to, but I know that a lot of listeners have similar relationships with their parents um, or strained ones in some sense. Uh, if it's better now, how did you make it better? So first and foremost, I think there had to be effort. Uh, And my mom and I have always been incredibly close. I I recall, uh, you know, today we have the relationship that many would call a best friendship. Mm -hmm. And I'm so thankful for that, uh, that we call and text each other and talk to each other like best friends. But at the end of the day, I know she's my mom. Uh, Mm -hmm. My father, on the other hand, my relationship with him growing up was a bit strained. Um, And it was definitely not intentional. Uh, but, you know, just my choices in life and, and my aspirations and my decisions and how I decided to carry myself um, maybe was not in line with the son that he had envisioned for his whole life. Mm-hmm. As a parent, I, I, I mean, as, as not being a parent, but putting myself into his shoes, I can understand how that can be difficult to come to terms. Um, but I decided that it was going to be one of my priorities to help him understand that 
um, you know, we cannot create expectations, but rather we have to take what we're given and take the cards that were dealt and um, make the most of them. And since I think my dad has also had enough life experiences to know that very superficial things like titles um, and things like that don't matter because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. So when we decided, um, you know, after this time, and I think after going through the divorce, uh, my dad uh, really broke down, I think, you know, it was difficult to see him in that situation. Uh, and even after the divorce, I think there was a, a, a great period of time where there was um, not the best relationship, we'll mm-hmm. put it that way. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think really there was a lot of forces that came together. But, you know, if I were to specifically answer your question about how I kind of turned the relationship around, I would definitely say I just put forth the effort, and um, I learned very quickly what I could and could not change. I mm-hmm. think uh, for a lot of us in, in the field of psychology, you know, we um, were taught that we can do our best to help people change, but at the end of the day, the people responsible for initiating and executing the change is the individual. It's very, very, very difficult to come to terms with the idea that you are okay without having, you know, parental support from someone who should. And you look out in the family and you look in the community and you see so many happy, you know, father-son relationships and they're doing things together Mm -hmm. and they're engaged. (laughs) Um, And then I do think, though, in the South Asian community, it's a little different even then. You know, the South Asian community, uh, how parents express their love and appreciation for their children is very different from how other cultures do so. And that's not right or wrong. I think that was the first first reality that I had to come to terms with was that I needed to learn what my dad's preferred uh, expression was or preferred method of appreciation was. Um, and then after mm-hmm. that, I think, you know, it's still that there was a lot of effort on both of our parts that had to be put into to rebuilding the relationship from the ground up. You know, when you're 16, 17, 18, uh, even today, we're still rebuilding that relationship. You know, it doesn't happen overnight, so it requires a lot of patience um, and it requires a lot of, you know, perspective viewing. So I think it. It's a lot. Uh, it's not one simple answer, uh, as nobody would expect, but mm-hmm. I think it's definitely possible and doable. And we've made great progress, but the road ahead, I know, is still long. Um, but, you know, you treat each day as a, as a new chance. Right. Yeah, and that's, like, really optimistic. And uh, it's good to hear, I think, not just for people who have had kind of uh, jarring experiences like a divorce, but anyone who has... Uh, any kind of disagreement with their parents, you know, and it sounds like the lesson that you're talking about is really empathy. And that's really hard to do for, uh, you know, not just a teenager, but for someone who's growing up to, to see that their parents are still growing up and that when they had us, they were just kind of like, you know, 27, maybe 30. And, uh, they had a lot of lessons still to gain, uh, from living life that, uh, we, when we're young, we want to hold them accountable for it. Um, and I think when we're older, maybe seeing that they were sometimes not in charge uh, can make us a little bit easier on them and maybe a little bit on ourselves as well because, uh, you know, we get a lot of messages from people um, at Munmukti who blame themselves for the mistakes of others, you know, and to see that to, when you see that these other people are still learning and on the uh, journey of their own life, then it makes that easier to bear. 
Um, mm -hmm. The very last question I had was, because I know you have to go and save the world, <laughs> um, was about mental health resources. Now, like a lot of people in the South Asian community uh, kind of shun that institution where you can not only get diagnoses, but also help in the form of treatment uh, medically or therapeutically. Did you have any experience with these uh, different avenues and what can you say about them? Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, you know, I think to know and acknowledge that there are resources out there. You, you said it very well that oftentimes individuals blame themselves for the actions or behavior of others. Um, I think it's in my experience, I uh, treated my situation uh, as a challenge, as an obstacle rather than a diagnosis or uh, a clinical um, variance from or deviance from what the normal healthy person should be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being even in the field of psychology, I, I always struggled with you know treating mental health as you know something wrong per se, uh, and I think. I think a lot of people should realize that there are resources out there. Um, you know, I definitely have and have used and encourage individuals to uh, utilize those resources. You know, including the National Suicide Hotline um, for students who are on campus or attending a university. Oftentimes, they will have counseling and support centers um, where they just have people on staff to talk about. And I very I recall it. It started, I, I was just here one experience, I, I remember being in the eighth grade, uh, and I had to get up out of class and walk to the counselor's office and close the door, and I just cried and cried for over an hour. I could, there was no words to come out of my mouth, and it was times like that where I realized that there are people willing to listen. I just had to let down my guard, I, I had to let down my ego, and I had to let down you know, you know. I always tell people, and it's my guiding philosophy: live a life that you want to live, and not a life that others want to see. And the more and more that I've lived, I realize that everything that I do needs to be in my best interest. And so I know getting help and taking advantage of resources, quote unquote, may not be the life that someone thinks others want to see. But at the end of the day, it's the life that they need to live, that they want to live, and that's going to help them best in the future. So absolutely encourage everyone to reach out to whether it be a friend, whether it be a professional counselor, whether it be a psychologist, uh, whether it be someone on campus or just someone who you can confide in, I think is very important. And if there is nobody that you feel that level of trust, you know that there are always national resources that where you remain completely anonymous that you can take advantage of just if you need someone to listen or if you need to um, unload some weight off of your shoulders. I think the little, the little steps that you can take to prevent a larger meltdown, if you will, are very important. Um, and, you know, I also think it's doing what people enjoy. You know, for those who enjoy yoga or meditation, it's important to do that, you know, every every day. For those who enjoy physical exercise and activity, being able to do those more physiological, the more biological stress release things are also very helpful. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there is a certain level of openness required um, to even take advantage of just our chance here and then to know that there are people out there who care. Um, and then if there's one, if I believe in my experience that my past has been my most valuable resource in 
I consult it daily. If uh, my past was a desk reference, it would be constantly open on my desk. Um, but, you know, I just think that looking back, you know, it's hard when we're looking forward, but looking back is a lot easier. Um, and looking back, I just know all of the opportunities, chances, memories, you know, positive experiences that I've had over the years that I would have missed out on. Um, and those are the inspiration that keep me moving forward. So in times of difficulty, in times of challenge, it's important to focus on the positives and allow those as the foundation and as the catalyst to help us wake up tomorrow. And when our head leaves the pillow, ask ourselves, what are we going to do today to make the world a better place? What am I going to do to myself to make my, myself a better person? And then lastly, every morning, something that I do that I've just now become accustomed to is after I brush my teeth, as silly as it sounds, I just look at myself in the mirror and I have a conversation. I think that's really important to connect, you know, and I tell myself, I look myself in the eyes and I make a commitment and promise to myself that I'm going to live a life today that I want to live and not a life that others want to see. And even little things like that um, in your routine that people can uh, incorporate, I think, are important, uh, no matter how silly they are, whatever inspiration mm -hmm. they bring to you, whatever they, they provide to you on your journey is valuable, and we must acknowledge them as so. That's fantastic. Um, look, I want to thank you so much uh, for spending this, uh, you know, half hour with me and with our audience. Um, we'd love to have you back at some point if you ever want to come back. Okay, so do you want to say anything to our audience to close up, where they, where they can find you online, or uh, where they can catch up to what you've been working on lately? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, allow me to thank you and the entire team for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been. It's been a positive experience to share my experience. Um, and to all our listeners and audience, um, you know, I'm sending best wishes and positive vibes to anyone going through any challenges now. Um, you guys can keep up with me online. Um, a lot of places where I speak are um, sharing those on YouTube, so you're welcome to look at YouTube. Also, if you search the web, you can visit the nonprofit's website. Um, I encourage everyone, um, if you've enjoyed listening to the tidbit of my story today, purchasing a copy of my book titled Be Your Own Hero. Um, that's available at most major retailers as well as online. Um, it goes more into detail about my story and how, uh, where I started and how I got to today. But most importantly, um, I just want to, again, thank you guys for your time and everyone for chiming in today. It's been a pleasure. I want to extend a thank you to our guest, our team, Abhi, Chintan, and Shama, and to you, our listeners. It's because of you we tell these stories, and it's your stories we're telling. So if you have a story of your own, or know someone who does, speak up at manmukti.org. My name is Anand. See you next time.